Welcome to the Community Hope Podcast. We exist to share hope with more people in more places. For more information on this podcast or our church, please visit communityhope.org. Now stay tuned for our Sermon of the Week. All right, well, well before, uh, before we get into the message today, I just kind of want to uh, address uh, kind of where, where we're at. Um, it's a, as I said, I've, I've never, ever seen anything quite like uh, where we're at right now. Um, as, as when, you're, when you're a leader, there's one of two extremes that you always want to avoid. You don't want to overreact, but you don't want to underreact either. And so um, that's why we, uh, as you've seen today, we're already we're trying to take uh, precautions so that you always feel safe. Uh, coming here to Community Hope, and so we want to be, we want to be um, just mindful of what's happening in our world, uh, but at the same time, uh, we don't ever want to be driven by fear either, and so that's why we're continuing to make adjustments, and so me as your pastor, I was, I'm always going to fight for us to make adjustments so that we can meet together in person, okay, and so, so that's, that's what we're going to do, and so uh, but at the same time, we always want to be mindful of those who are in leadership of us, and so if the government recommends that we don't meet, we want to we follow that as well, but we're always going to fight to meet, and, and again, so, and anybody who's watching this sermon after the fact, if you chose to stay home today, no guilt, no shame, um, as I said in the video that I put out, you're an adult, and so we trust you to make adult decisions, and if you decide to stay home because of whatever reason, uh, we're going to obviously we empower you to do that. And so just kind of like what our policy is in the wintertime with weather, as long as you feel safe coming to church, we're going to have church, okay? But again, we allow you to make that decision, okay? So I, I tend to uh, drift away from not canceling, uh, but again, we, we want, like I said, this is a very serious situation. We don't want to make light of it in any way. It's a very serious thing. But um, so like I said, we've made some adjustments and, in what we do, and we'll con- want to continue to be mindful of that, but at the same time, we want, we want to be able to meet together. If it comes down to it where we just, we have to, the only church services we have are our community groups, we're still going to have church. Because that's what I want you to know is that nothing that's going to happen in this world is going to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ from going forward. Okay? Now, what I do want to encourage anyone sitting in this room and anybody watching online is this. Don't allow this time to become an excuse for you. Again, I understand there are legitimate concerns. If you're in a place where you legitimately are concerned, if you're in that position where you feel like your immune system is compromised, I respect that. But don't allow this to be a time where you get sucked into fear and you allow this to be an excuse to not come to church, okay? Because again, uh, the weather it may not be a comparable example, but it could be of, well, it's harder for me to get to church now, so I'm not going to. Again, the weather is a legitimate thing. There are times where I live where I literally, it's not physically possible for me to leave my house, okay? And so, uh, uh, so that is where we are. And so, again, I just want to let you know kind of where we're at as a leadership team. We're trying to make the adjustments that we need to make, but we, we want to have church. So there are opportunities for you to give online, and uh, there are uh, ways for you to check out the sermon online, but we're going to continue to move forward in the best way that we know how. Anybody with me? All right, good. Are you ready to get into the message? It doesn't really matter because we're going to anyway, so. Now, you know what I did last week? I was so irritated. There's this on and off button on this thing. It doesn't work when it's turned off. Imagine that. Today we are talking about a principle, and I'm wondering if you, if you have ever experienced this. Have you ever experienced a situation or circumstance where you saw someone put religion above relationship? 
Now, here's no, I won't ask you to raise your hand to this, but have you ever been guilty of doing this? I know I have. I've been guilty of, of being in a place, in a position where I put religion above relationship. Now, I'm just going to be very transparent. I'm not proud of the story I'm about to tell you, but it's just where, what I, where I was. Um, many years ago, I was asked by a couple to perform their wedding ceremony. Well, the thing about this couple is that they were living together. They've been living together for a lot of years. And uh, they ran a business. Uh, they owned a bar. But it wasn't like any bar. It was a strip bar. And so they owned a strip bar, and they've been living together for several years, and they asked me to do their wedding. Now, I'm not to, and immediately my reaction was, no, I'm not going to do your wedding. I didn't say that. It's what I thought. It's what I thought. And I was shocked by how religious I was in that moment. I was shocked by my pride. I was shocked by my arrogance of how that, so I somehow thought I was better than other people. And you know what God very clearly in that moment told me to do? Yeah, I want you to do the wedding. Okay. See, here's the thing about it. God has a way of removing pride from our lives. He does. And I'm always grateful for it, even though I don't like the process. Um, he has a way of removing pride from our lives. And so we, we did. We went to the wedding. We performed this, this ceremony. And as a part of the rehearsal dinner, we were there hanging out with them and their employees and their dancers. And guess what? They're real people. They're real people with real hurts and real pain and, real, and just real lives. God used that situation and the circumstance in my life to make me realize I was doing this. I was putting religion above relationship. And it's, it's sad, it's unfortunate, but I think that if you're in the church long enough, we can all be guilty of this at some point. Where we tend to also, it's maybe sometimes, Jesus came to reveal to us this really, really messy, interesting tension. He came to reveal this to us, what John says is the fullness of grace and truth. But what's interesting for me is what I find out is a lot of times what can happen for us is we put truth over grace. And what, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't put grace over truth or truth over grace. He actually came to give us what the Bible says is this really messy tension of the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth all at the same time. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he was untimes unfair. He was untimes unclear. He was inconsistent. Because you see him being very graceful to a woman caught in adultery, but very, very, very full of truth and rebuking religious leaders all in the same moment. It's messy. It's inconsistent. At times it seems unfair, but that's what he came to reveal to us. This extremely messy tension of grace and truth. And the reality is, is that these are the type of people that we like to be around. And honestly, this is the type of person that I want to be. <laughs> this is the tension. If you have children, this is the tension that you wrestle with all the time. Is this tension of grace and truth. It's messy. It's inconsistent. It's unfair. Parents in the room, how many times have your kids tell you that what you were doing was not fair? Yeah. All the time, right? It's this messy, messy tension of grace and truth. Jesus came to reveal that to us. And what did he say? As, as you're my followers. And so we are trying to live out this, great, this messy, messy tension where we don't put religion over relationship. We don't put commandments over compassion. But we don't throw truth out the window either. It's a messy, messy tension. But it's this place that I want to pursue because, again, these are the type of people that I want to be around who are doing their very best to live this out. 
So we are in week three of a series called Bystander, talking through the uh, Gospel of John, where John reveals to us seven signs. And the principle that we continue to talk about is that John and the disciples did not follow Jesus because of faith. They didn't just say, well, I chose to believe in Jesus and I hoped it would all work out. No, they followed Jesus because of what they saw and what they heard. And he writes this for us at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. Everyone say believe. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John's not just content to tell us what believe, what to believe, he says, and this is why. Why we believe, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's my agenda today, is that you would experience what John is describing, is that we would experience life in his name. What kind of life? This really messy tension of grace and truth. This messy tension that seems unfair at times, it seems inconsistent, but it's exactly the spot that we want to live. So how do we, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how do we walk this out? We're going to look at a really fascinating story today. It's one of the seven signs that John talked about. Week one, we talked about when he turned water into wine at the wedding. Week two, we talked about when he healed uh, a man's son. And today, we're going to look at the third sign, which is a fascinating, fascinating story that I want us to look at today. It's in John chapter 5. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. Because John shows us these signs for a reason. They convinced him that Jesus was the Son of God. And he's hoping that these signs will be enough for his readers as well. So John chapter 5, we're reading here. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. We don't know what Jewish holy day he's referring to. But it says, inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda, which five, with five covered porches. Now, I normally uh, read out of the New Living Translation, but here's, an, uh, here's a place where I want to show you where the New Living Translation actually uses the wrong word. The word was shouldn't be there. This wasn't a place that was. It's a place that is. And I feel like that I always need to show you these things because you realize for the longest time, scholars were skeptical of John. You see, see, this pool of Bethesda, we can't find any archaeological evidence of this place even existing. See, that's why we know that John, that John was written hundreds of years after the fact because he's making this place up. This place doesn't exist. Scholars thought that for the longest time, but guess what happened? Exactly. We continue to dig, we continue to uncover, and here it is. This is the pool of Bethesda. We found it. Guess what we found out again? The gospel accounts are accurate accounts of places that actually existed, people that actually existed. I always want to point these things out to you because I always want you to know that our faith is not in fairy tales. It's not. What, what the, the, the gospel of John is an account of something that actually happened. That one was free of charge. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, is the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now, I want you to understand the time period that we're looking at. Sick people had very 
few resources to turn to. Doctors were two things. They were scarce and they were scary. They were scarce in the fact that only rich people had access to doctors. Poor people didn't. And they were scary in the fact that most of what they offered you was just based upon some type of brew or potion that they came up with. Okay, Be grateful for the time in which you live. Okay, they were not arguing about health care for all in this, in this environment, okay? There was no, because health care at that time, it was scarce and it was scary. Let me show you how scary it was, okay? So in this time in Rome, the Romans had a law that doctors could not touch a dead body. But doctors still wanted to learn about the human body. So do you know what doctors would do at that time? They would get to someone who was dying And they would begin to perform an autopsy on them as they were dying because they wanted to learn about the human body. Scary stuff, isn't it? Doctors were scarce, and they were scary. So sick people resorted to one of two things. They resorted to temples, and they resorted to superstition to try to get healing. And here's an opportunity where they're both kind of wrapped up together. It's kind of a temple, and it's kind of a superstition all wrapped up together. Crowds of sick people. Another translation says, uh, basically, there, there may have been hundreds. There may have been thousands. We don't know. This was not, this, this was, a, this, the environment that which we're talking about at the pool of Bethesda was one of the most sad, depressing situations. Healthy people avoided this place like the plague because it literally was the plague. Okay, and, and then, again, this is, like, this is one of the saddest situations that you can imagine, but here's where these people are. They have nowhere else to turn, so here they are at the pool of Bethesda, because here was the superstition. Is they've gathered around this pool, and the superstition was that every so often, when the water bubbled, that meant an angel had touched it, and the first person to touch the water would be healed. And here's a fascinating thing that archaeologists have uncovered. That at the Pool of Bethesda, it was fed by springs. And so that was just a spring bubbling up. But because people were desperate for any type of an answer, the superstition arose. And so if you're desperate for answers, you'll do anything. And so that's where the people, all these people would hang out. And again, it was one of the most sad, depressing places that you can imagine. If you were, if someone actually cared about you, they may come and give you food. But the man that we're going to be talking about today, he was in one of the worst positions possible. One was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. This term invalid means he was probably paralyzed. May have been paralyzed from the waist down, from the neck down. We don't really know, but he was, he was paralyzed. And he's been this way for 38 years. We don't know how old he was. We don't know if he ever walked a step. We just know that he finds himself in a really, really bad situation. At the only place that he has any chance of hope. And guess what he's surrounded by? Sick, hurting, dying people. He's in the most helpless, hopeless situation possible. But then guess who steps into his situation? We're going to read about that in verse 6. When Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, now, I know I've referenced this story before, but if you, I have to make sure that you see what we're accurately talking about. I don't ever want to give you a Sunday school version of a story. There's a well that way that we share a story that's appropriate for little kids, but a lot of times we leave out the details. Okay? Let's just be honest. If you've raised in a Sunday school, you've probably heard about David and Goliath, right? 
We didn't tell them about David and Bathsheba, did we? Oh, by the way, that same guy who killed Goliath, he also committed adultery and then killed the woman's husband, right? <laughs> we don't, and we don't normally tell that part of the story to little kids. And I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying that's just the reality in which we live. And so I don't ever want to give you the Sunday school version of this story. Because here's the reality what is, if the it, scriptures don't talk about, but it's very accurately true. What was happening? Crowds. There's crowds of sick people. So here's this messy tension. What does Jesus do to get to this man? He's stepping over sick people to get to this man. He's stepping over the lame, over the blind. This is a version of Jesus that none of us want to think about. We want to think about the version of Jesus who just healed everybody all the time. But not in this instance. In this instance, he's stepping over sick people. He's stepping over disabled people. He's stepping over people to get to this one man. Again, that's a version of Jesus that we are uncomfortable with, but that's what happened. So we're not going to pretend like that's not there. It's there. Why do I bring that up? I want to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever felt like you were one of the people that Jesus was stepping over to get to somebody else? You ever felt like that you, you were the prayers that Jesus was ignoring to get to somebody else to answer their prayers? Well, that experience is nothing new. It's happening here in this story. Jesus is stepping over to people, and then he says something, and I'm just guessing he whispered it to him because he didn't want to draw a lot of attention to himself. And Jesus whispers a question that seems to us to be extremely offensive. He kneels, kneels down to this man who is... Later on, we're going to hear in the story that he was, he was laying on a mat. So here this man is. For 38 years, he's here. And Jesus has the audacity to whisper in his ear, would you like to get well? Are you kidding me? What kind of a ridiculous question is that? Now, again, I get it. These are, these are things that we're not allowed to question. I remember the first time I ever did, did, did this, I had a kid was questioned Jesus. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus curses a fig tree, and he comes back later, and it's dead. My dad was reading that to us in, like, family devotions one night out of the big old family Bible. Do you remember the big, big King James Version with the bug squishers, you know, big ones? He's reading that story to us. And then it says, but this was not the time for figs. And Jesus cursed the tree, and it died. And I, as I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or eight, I go, well, that's stupid. I just about got thrown out of the house because I, as a little kid, just said something Jesus did was stupid. My dad was like, how dare you? Oh, that was the wrong thing to say? That's what I thought. Jesus asked this what seemingly ridiculous question, would you like to get well? I don't know, Jesus, what do you think? But actually... It seems offensive on the surface, but if you dig a little bit deeper, I don't think it's as offensive as you think. Different translations translate this a different way. Some say, would you like to get well? Others say, do you want to get well? That's a different question, isn't it? I'm going to have the audacity to ask you that same question today. Do you want to get well? You know what's crazy, what's fascinating is, do you realize that we can be in our dysfunction for so long, it's all we ever know? We can be in dysfunctional relationships for so long, it's all we ever know. And someone offers us a way out, and we actually cling to our dysfunction. Jesus isn't going to impose his will on this man. He says to him, do you want to get well? 
And I'm just going to have the audacity to ask you the same question. Do you, do you want to get well? Do you want to see that relationship change? Do you want to get well? Because that, that may be asked of you to leave some things that you're really, really comfortable with. Because we become comfortable with the dysfunction. And some of you are looking at me like, what, are you crazy? I know it's been true in my life. Is to get something I never got, I may have to do something I've never done. And doing something I've never done scares me more than staying where I've always stayed. It scares me more, so I don't want to take the risk. I'm more comfortable in the dysfunction. To get something you've never got, you may have to do something you've never done. This happens around here. Twice a, week, twice a year we do a conference. We call it different things. We call it Encountering God, Experiencing God, the Holy Spirit Conference. Every year I experience people, er, pump the brakes there, Pastor. I ain't coming back to that service. Nope. Sometimes we have to push past the fear, and to get something we've never got, we may have to do something we've never done. I ask you today, do you want to get well? And again, the way this question is phrased is really, really important because would you like to get well is a whole lot different than do you want to get well. Because would you like to get well is kind of like a wish. Well, sure, pastor, I wish my marriage was different. Well, sure, pastor, I wish I was wealthy. Well, sure, pastor, I wish I was healthy. Well, sure, I wish. Wishing and wanting are two different things. Because then when you want something, it, it, when you look this up in the Greek, it's a determination, it's a resolve. Yes, I want it. I've been here for 38 years. Yes, I want it. What do you think his response is? Do you think his response is, yes, I want it more than anything in my life. I'm so desperate for it. No, listen to what this man says. He gives excuses. He says, I can't, sir. I can't. For I have no one. To put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Well, sure, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. I mean, look at what you got. I mean, your, your life is perfect. I mean, look at, look at who you're married to. Look at, look at the situation. Look at the finances you have. Look at the house that you live in. Look at the life you've had. You've had a pretty easy, squeaky life. Look at my life. I, I can't get out of this. I can't because I have no one. See, Pastor, you've got people. I don't have people. You realize how sucked into this we are as a culture right now? We throw around all kinds of terms that says, you've got it better than what I've got, so I can't. I can't get out of this. Because I don't have anyone. Now, what this man was saying, again, it, it breaks my heart, because if he didn't have anyone else, he, that means he literally sat there. I mean, I don't know how he ate. I don't know how he survived. It's like, I, I don't have anyone. And then look at what he says next. I, this is, I don't want to drill. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Can you relate to this? I'm trying, but it seems like always someone else always gets in front of me. Someone else gets the break. Someone else gets the promotion. Someone else gets the relationship. Someone else, I'm trying. Someone else always gets ahead of me. But that's what I love about Jesus so much is he pushes through the excuses. He pushes through the what? The very genuine story that this man is telling himself, I'll never get well. I'm trapped here. I'm stuck. 
Pastor, that's easy for you to say, but this is the way my life is. It's the way it always has been and the way it always will be. I'm trapped. Do you want to get well? Jesus loves him enough to push through his excuses. And again, I'm wondering if he whispered this to him. He says two words that are even more audacious than the question that he asked him. Even more offensive than he said, do you want to get well? He says to him, stand up. Stand up. My legs haven't worked for 38 years. Stand up? Are you kidding me? I don't know what his reaction was. I'm not... Here's another part of the story that I I imagine. I'm imagining him trying to stand up on those weak legs that he hadn't done for 38 years. I'm just guessing it probably looked pretty ridiculous. But guess what? He He was trying. And many times in our life, we're trying, we're trying so hard, but we've never done this before. Pastor, I've never been, my dad was a wreck. I've never been a godly father. I'm trying. I'm trying. Do you realize that even in the trying, it takes trust? For so many of you, for myself included, it takes trust even to try. Do you realize how much trust it took for that man to stand up? I've never done this before. I've never done this before. Even in the trying, it took trust. But in that trust, when you try, it shows where your trust is. Pastor, I'm trying. I'm trying. See, the family I grew up in, I was talking to one young man. He's like, yeah. He said, all I ever knew was an abusive dad. I don't want to be an abusive dad. I'm trying. But it's all I've ever known. I'm trying. Even in the trying, here's what I want to say to you, is that man, after trying to stand up after 38 years, even the trying was a miracle. Even the trying, even the fall, I don't know how many times he fell down trying to figure out how to get his legs to work after 38 years. Even the trying was a miracle. It was a miracle for him. For, so that, for those two words, stand up, took enormous trust. Because he had to embrace the miracle here before he can embrace the miracle here. He had to grab it here before he could try. But he was just crazy enough to say, okay, let's try. And I'm guessing he looked pretty ridiculous. Standing up on legs that he never hadn't stood up on for 38 years. But then what Jesus says next is even worse than stand up. He says to him, stand up. Pick up your mat. Again, I want to get down into the the nitty-gritty of this story. This man laid on this mat, and if you're paralyzed like he was paralyzed, he probably couldn't control his bodily functions. So I'm just guessing this mat reeked. It was filthy, stinking, dirty. If I stand up after 38 years, that's the last thing I want to see. I want to burn that. I don't ever want to see that again. And Jesus says, pick it up. Why? 
Why would he tell him to pick up the very thing that would remind him of where he had been for the past 38 years? Why would God tell him to pick it up? Because this was his testimony. (laughs) That's who I used to be. I used to have to lay on this thing. I was trapped. I couldn't move. He says, pick up your mat. The mat was his testimony. And here's what I want to apologize for. And maybe some of those who are new to the church, I want to apologize to you because of church people. Because us church people have tried to pretend like we don't have a mat. Church people, we try to, we make our testimony way too PG. And it's rated R. It is. We got a rated R story, but we don't want anybody to know about it, so we pretend like our story's PG. Yeah, I used to have some problems, but then Jesus came along, and I'm good now. We're just a bunch of pretenders. Stop telling the PG version. Stop it. You know why that's so important? Because people who are trapped here and look at us and go, well, I guess that ain't for me. Because my story is pretty bad. I've been around the church my whole life. I know, I know it's true because I remember I was working with a young man years ago. And he had a pretty crazy past. He'd given his life to Jesus. And he said, and we were sitting in a Starbucks and he was weeping. And he said, you know what? Because he was a part of our church at that time, the different church that I was a part of. And he said, I could get up in front of those people, and I could tell them my testimony. And I could start with, yeah, I've been in and out of prison a lot of times, but God saved me. Big boy applaud. And said, I could tell them, like, I used to be a con man, I used to be a thief, but God saved me. He said, the people would applaud. I could tell them that I was addicted to drugs, but God saved me, and people would applaud. But he said, when I get to the part and I say, I used to be a male prostitute. He said, I feel like they would kick me out of the room. They wouldn't want to hear my story anymore. And I just weep with him because you know what? I knew he was telling the truth. Because I've retold his story. I retold his story in a men's group. And I guess when I got to that part of that, there was someone in the room that was offended by it. They said, well, why are we even talking about that? Why would I be offended by someone else's story? Because I'm pretending like I don't have one. I'm pretending like I don't have a mat. I'm pretending like the sins that Jesus saved me from, oh, they're not as bad as your sins. I just needed a little help. I get frustrated being around people who feel like grace is just a little bitty step stool. I don't need a step stool to get to God. I was just like that lame man. I was blind, pitiful, and broken. And Jesus came and rescued me. He saved me. It's time for us to let people know this is my testimony. This is my testimony. So if you didn't see this, I want to share it with you because I... uh, I really, 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 it means a lot to me to practice what I preach. So this past week, I did just that. I posted a picture of me with my mat. And this is what I shared. I said, this is my mat. I was a thief. 
I was addicted to porn. I was suicidal. My marriage was hanging on by a thread. I was angry. I was emotionally abusive to my family, but worst of all, I was a liar. I was buried in guilt and shame. All of this while going to church, going to Bible college, and being a pastor. But how did that all change? I came to experience a relationship with God, but not the angry God I had perceived from all my years in Sunday school and had been terrified of for so long. I came to experience who Jesus really is, the Jesus who was full of grace and truth. The Jesus who said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. The Jesus who healed a paralyzed man who had been lying on a mat for 38 years and said to him, take up your mat and walk. That man then proudly carried his mat as a testimony of who he was, but who now through Jesus had truly been set free. I'm still far from perfect, and I still struggle and fall down. But I'm not the man I was. This is my mat. What's yours? What's your mat? What's your mat? Because this comes in steps. Jesus said, stand up. That was trusting. Pick up your mat. That's your testimony. And the final piece, he said, walk. You don't get the transformation without the trusting and the testimony. You don't get to walk until you stand up and you pick up your mat. It comes in steps. Everybody wants to jump to the transformation, but it comes through trusting and through testimony. That's how we get to the transformation. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. You want the transformation? Jesus' transformation in our lives oftentimes looks different than what we think. I want to pretend like this doesn't exist. Jesus said, pick it up and carry it. Because now, hey, remember me? I was trapped here, but Jesus set me free. This is who I was, but it's not who I am. God has set me free. Now, I'm not taking the habits with me. I'm not going to take the attitudes with me, but I'm taking the testimony with me. I'm taking the testimony with me. And that is exactly what happened. These words are, of Jesus are few. Instantly, the man was healed, and he did what Jesus told him to do. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But dear, if you're watching this through movie form, here's where the music changes. Dun, dun, dun. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh-oh, so the Jewish leaders objected. Now, this question, do you think Jesus knew what day of the week it was? Do you think Jesus forgot? Oh, God, it's the Sabbath. I thought, I thought it was Friday. You ever had those moments? I'm just guessing Jesus didn't. I'm guessing Jesus was fully aware of what day of the week it was. I'm just guessing he was fully aware of who he was going to offend that day. Jesus intentionally kicked the hornet's nest. So I'm just going to warn you. If you start showing people your mat, religious people will be offended by your mat. They will be. They will be offended by it. 
I just got a text yesterday from someone who told me that they knew a religious person who was very offended by my mat. I said, praise God. I've just embraced the fact that who I am and what I say and do just maybe might offend someone. Now, I don't want to intentionally want to offend you or anyone else. But if you are offended, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, why? Why? Why are you offended by my mat? Why are you offended by someone else's mat? Is it because you think you don't have one? Is it because you think Christians shouldn't have one? If so, I know this sounds harsh, but you're not following the same Jesus that I read about in John. Why did Jesus tell him to pick up his mat? For a reason. Why were the religious leaders offended by it? Well, we're going to get into that. They said to him, they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Well, the law didn't forbid carrying a sleeping mat. The law forbidded, what does the Ten Commandments say? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's all the law said. But the religious leaders came along and said, well, I think, I think we need to define what that means. So the religious leaders came up with 39 categories of the things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Not 39 things, 39 different categories of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. So he wasn't breaking God's law, he was breaking their interpretation of God's law. And if you've been around church long enough, you've seen a lot of interpretations. A lot of interpretations. And when my, dad, when my dad shares about what the interpretation of the law was in his generation, I laugh. I do. Because I'm like, really? Facial hair on a man was offensive. My dad said the first time he saw a pastor with a mustache, he thought he was going to lose his salvation. I love my dad, but I'm like, are you kidding me? You couldn't do anything then. You couldn't go to bowling alleys. You couldn't go to skating rinks. Oh, if you went to a theater, you were going straight to hell. You definitely didn't do mixed bathing. You know what mixed bathing is? That was going to a swimming pool with the opposite sex? How dare you? There's all kinds of things you couldn't do. What is that? Interpretation. Well, again... You decide for you what you should and shouldn't do. But then when you begin to point and wag your finger at someone else, then things change. Why would they tell him to, to not carry his sleeping mat? Again, this is symbolic. Why are we offended by other people's mat? It's when we do one of two things. When we forget or we ignore that we got a mat too. When we forget or we ignore our mat, we get offended by other people's mats. And that's unfortunate. And that's when we put religion above relationship. When we put commandments above compassion. 
when we put a theological system above relationship, when we put an ideology above relationship, when we put a political agenda ahead of relationship, when we put a political party above relationship, we have lost our way. Now, it's really hard for us to see this. You know how I know? If this is how I know. Again, nobody raise your hand, but if you listen to that and you go, absolutely, pastor, that other theological system needs to hear that. That other political party needs to hear this. In fact, I'm so glad that you're filming this because I'm going to, my mother-in-law needs to hear this. Now, I'm not going to share her with it because I know she's going to be offended, but secretly I'm going to make sure she hears this because she's a part of that other party. Pastor, the Democrats need to hear this. The Republicans need to hear this. That's right, that other party, they need to hear it because they are doing that. What does James say? Or what did Jesus say? We're trying to pull the speck out of someone else's eye. Well, we got a log in our own eye. When what's best for people is no longer what's most important to you, you're at odds with God. When it's, well, they're on the other side. They're on that other, other side, so it's, it's, it's okay. It's, nope. That's where the religious leader lived. They didn't care about that man. If we're going to get deeper into this, I love this. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. I love his reply. But the man replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. So excuse me. If I don't follow what you say, you the one who've ignored me for 38 years. You're the one who told me I was getting what I deserved for 38 years. You're the one who did nothing for me. Forgive me if I just choose to follow the words of the one who healed me. How about I follow him instead of what you have to say? I'm not too concerned about what you have to say because you've done nothing for me for 38 years. I'm walking because of him. So I just think I'll do what he says. I'll just be okay with that. That's where I choose to live. And I want to share with you that when you choose to follow Jesus, religion will lose its grip on you. It will lose its grip on you. When you choose to follow Jesus, you will lose your fear of religion and religious people. I've lost it. I've lost my fear of religion and religious people. I've been around them my whole life. They don't scare me. Because I'm just audacious to say, no, I appreciate your concerns, but I'm just, I'm going to decide to follow the one who healed me. I'm going to follow the one who saved me. I'm going to follow the one who set me free. And I'm so sorry that my mad offends you. I'm happy for you that you don't have one. I wish I could live there. But I got one. And Jesus told me to take it up and follow him. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because what's so frustrating, what's so sad is, is that Jesus made it so simple. We make it really complicated. That's why I always want to encourage you to go and read the Gospels for yourself. The Gospels are so important because the Gospel is simple. We're the ones that make it complicated. 
What he said to the man was simple. I don't tell you it was easy. Stand up, take up your mat, and walk. That was simple. It wasn't easy. But I found myself at different times putting religion above relationship. And God, in his very loving way, has helped me to course correct. I hope that he'll do that with you. Because what I want to challenge you with is a couple of thoughts as we wrap up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Does your view, version of religion get in the way of loving people God loves? If so, you're at odds with God. Does your version of politics get in the way of loving people God loves? If so, you're at odds with God. Does your version of Christianity get in the way of loving people God loves. If so, you're at odds with God. I've found at times that my version, my flawed version, was putting religion above relationship. And God in his grace and his mercy, he looked at me and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So, my challenge to you is, is would you be willing to tell the story of your mat? Would you be willing to have the audacity to tell your story? Because your story will reach people that my story never will. Never will. And I'm so grateful that God gives every person a story. So my question is, is, would you have the courage to go public with your story? Would you have the courage to go on social media and share your, my math story? I shared mine. I'm going to challenge you. Would you be willing to do that? And I'd love to hear, I'd love to read about it. Now, I'm old and I'm told hashtags are going by the wayside, but they still help me find your story. What if you wrote that story and what if you hashtagged it, my Matt? I'd love to hear my Matt stories because here's why. (laughs) If you're on social media for more than about two seconds, you don't find very much, much hope right now. You don't find much hope. I've just decided I'm going to use my little tiny sphere of influence to put out some hope out there. God's called me to be a hope dealer. In fact, I'm, I bought a sweatshirt that says hope dealer. My kids are already going to make fun of me for that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't care. Would you choose to be a hope dealer? Would you choose? I'm going to use my mat. I'm going to use my story. And if it can give, give one person hope, I'll take the risk. I'll take the risk of offending a religious person to reach a lost person. I will take the risk. And so I ask you, would you be willing to take the risk and say, this is my map. That's who I used to be. I'm far from perfect. (laughs) But God's still saving me. Would you stand and would you bow your heads with me?
the, the first opportunity I want to give is I don't want to assume everyone in the room has had this moment, had this experience where you stood up. I, I don't want to assume that everyone's had that moment where they came to Jesus and Jesus transformed them. I don't want to assume that you've had that moment. Maybe right now would be your opportunity to have that moment. Maybe right now could be your moment. If that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe you did a long time ago and maybe you feel like you've fallen away, this could be your moment right now where you choose to trust Jesus with your life. Again, if you've never done that or maybe you've done it a hundred times but right now here in this moment, you feel like you're at that first instruction, that first part of stand up. There's some things that God's calling you to walk away from. There's some relationships, there's some dysfunction, there's some sin that God's calling you to repent of and turn away from. Right now, here in this moment, I ask you, will you choose to stand up? That word stand up means to wake up. It means to come to life. If right now, if that's your moment, would you put your open hands out in front of you like you're receiving a gift? Would you say, God, I accept your mercy, I accept your grace, I accept your forgiveness. I give you my life right now. I trust you. Maybe God's calling you to be a little bit more honest about your story. Maybe that's what you need to trust Jesus with. God, I'm going to be honest about my mat. I'm going to share my mat with other people to share that with them. Maybe there's a part of your life where God's trying to bring transformation into your life, but you're still trying to cling to some old ways of thinking. Right now in this moment, say, would you say, God, I trust you. Father, I thank you for all the expressions of faith that are happening right now in this moment in these chairs and those people who are watching online. I thank you for every expression of faith that's happening right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you that your grace is sufficient. (laughs) Your grace is enough. And you're going to forever change who we are. We're going to sing one final song together. I just encourage you to talk to God in these next few moments. If you were impacted by this sermon or if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Community Hope on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, communityhope.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week.